Kel, very, very much. I could have been a $10,000 winner on America's Funniest Videos if I'd have kept that there, but I'm going to move it. So we're going through the, the book of Acts, looking at the Acts of the Apostles and saying, what was normal then? Uh, Luke would say to us, whatever's normal then, that needs to be normal for us. This is what we always want to return to. What was the early church about? Last week we looked at prayer, that, that not just everyday prayer that's available to us that God always hears, but also those set-aside times, those formal times for prayer. And we saw it was only when they prayed that the room shook and the Spirit dropped in one instance. And we'll close with that today, again, about its formal prayer when Peter gets an incredible move of God in his life. So as we go through this stewardship season, we want to ask that, Lord, how can my set-aside prayer time be more normal in this rushed season in this difficult season, uh, Lord, help me to carve out those times. But also, we see some more normal things as we go through Acts. And it's not just, look, this is, this is how God operates in Acts. There are big moments, right? We're seeing one of them today. But typically, how God moves is through the normal stuff. It's, it's coworkers, ministering to coworkers. We talked about that last week. We'll talk about today, neighbors ministering to neighbors. We've said before, more people come to saving faith today through conversation with friends, relatives, business associates, and neighbors than they, than they ever do at a Sunday service. It's just people who love Jesus serving. It's people who love Jesus talking about their faith. God works through the normal. And so when we look at Acts, what we see are just a few times of this word continually. It's a word that doesn't come up a lot in the New Testament, only 13 times. The author of Hebrews talks about how sacrifices were made continually, or sadly in 2 Thessalonians, it's a tough word. We were continually scattered like sheep, but, but we've returned to our shepherd. Now when you go to the book of Acts, there's a couple of instances that play out in three or four ways. Mostly it's prayer. They were abounding in prayer, constantly devoted to prayer, continually in prayer. Uh, but where we are today, we're going to see there's this second instance, and it's about serving. The New American Standard says that she was continually doing good deeds, and then the other word would be charity or alms or giving. There are different translations about that word continually. Uh, it could be always doing or devoted to, but I like the ESV translation and other translations that say this. Her life was full, full of good deeds. Her life was full of charity. That's a full life. That's a rich life. That's a vibrant life. If we're filled with the Spirit, and that'll be another thing we look at, being continually filled by the Spirit, But when we're filled with him, then he flows out and we can serve. And really, that's the major question when you get walk through Acts. What will you be filled by? Chapter 2, a couple of times in chapter 4 and elsewhere, they were filled by the Holy Spirit. But then a couple chapters later, they were filled with the devil. And then later, they were filled 
with jealousy, or this person or this group was filled with rage, and then also in that same chapter, confusion. The question becomes, what fills my life? Because whatever fills my life, when I get bumped, that's what spills out of my life. That's what Jesus was saying in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to have all kinds of power in your life, and you are going to be my witnesses. When the Spirit comes, if you're full of Him, He can't help but come out in your life in power and in service and in witness. It's going to happen. Actually, the verbiage there says it will happen. I know I shared this story three years ago. I promise never to share it again. But like you, for many of us who struggle with sports and all the restrictions over that, my wrestling schedule, college wrestling schedule, has been bumped to January, so I'll tell you a wrestling story. It's about a kid named Greg. A young JV wrestler couldn't win a match. And matter of fact, he was so bad, they only let him like wrestle in six matches. And as he would wrestle those matches, and every time he wrestled those, he got pinned, he would say to our friends, hey, am I getting better? Am I doing better? And of course, his friends tried to be nice. Yeah, it's okay. You're doing okay. And he would say to his parents, moms and dad, you you saw me wrestle. Am I getting better? Yeah, you're you're doing all right. Then he would ask his grandmother, how am I doing? Greg, I believe you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Every time, that was her response. Now this kid, because of that kind of encouragement, wanted so much to be a varsity wrestler and to let her, and and so, and let her in wrestling, to to turn that 0-6 season around the next season and to get a letterman's jacket. And he would talk to his grandmother about it because everybody else was writing him off. But she kept saying, You remember that Philippians passage? I know what it is to be with plenty. I know what it is to be in want. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And she would say to him, Greg, I know you're going to get that letterman's jacket next year. You're going to do it. You're going to work hard. You're going to work on your, 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 your thinking game. You're going to do it. But you're going to do it because in Christ you can do all things. That kid trained. That kid worked. That kid listened to coaches. And just before the season started, he lost his cheerleader. His grandmother died. But when kids finally faced Greg, when they finally let him in a match that year, they were facing a different kid. A kid who had somebody who believed in him, said, I know you can do these things. I know you're going to let her. You're going to do great because of Jesus Christ. He can do all things. And the first match, they finally let him uh, wrestle. He pinned his opponent. It's hard to pin somebody. Pinned him. Second match, pinned him. Next match, Pinned him. He went from 0 and 6 to 6 and 0 to finally the, the coach calls him into the, his uh, uh, coach's office, says, Greg, listen, I don't want you fretting anymore. I know you've worked hard in the offseason. You're killing it this year. I also happen to know you wanted not only to make the team, but you wanted the letter for the team. Let me just go ahead and take the pressure off you, son. Here's a box. And he opens the box, and there's the letterman's jacket. And of course, what's Greg thinking about? Not what, but who? I wish you were here. I wish you could have seen this because it's because of her belief in me, I knew I could do these things. He puts the letterman's jacket on. Some of y'all been there. You kind of strut around, right? You think you're somebody. Puts his hands in the pockets, and there's a letter. And the letter's from his grandmother that she had written ahead of time and gave to his coach. And basically what the letter said was what? I knew you could do it. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That's the verb of Acts 1.8. 
He is calling something as true before it even happens. Jesus is sure that if his disciples will allow the Holy Spirit to fill their lives, what's going to spill out, I'm calling it as done, it's going to be a life that says, I will go. I'll have power in my life, and I will be my witness to the utter ends of the world. Jesus calls that out, and it happens. And what we see here in Acts is that question, will I be filled, allow my life, and if I'll do that, then my life is going to spill out where I'll always or devoted to or continually be serving. Now again, y'all, we talked about this last week. It's critical for us. It's critical for us to connect through the church to do that too. So much of what of the impact we have is because we corporately say we're going to Habitat. Because we say we're going to Honduras and fund that and pray for that and send people to that. It's because we say, as last week, we're going to the inner city and, and, and ministering to people who are struggling. It's because we say we're going to support the children's home or Mission Mondays with our students or Rise Against Hunger. Or, matter of fact, pray for our mission council. They're meeting this week. They're chomping at the bit. And they're going to be praying about what, we're going to, what, what the Lord's calling us to do in 2021. But you look at Acts. So much of it is just regular folks showing up and God moves in incredible ways. Whether it's on the road and Philip's taking advantage of a conversation with somebody or the way that they share meals or right here with Tabitha or Dorcas. Out of my blessing, I'm just going to continually make these garments and these tunics for people who are on the fringes of life. I'm going to continually give alms or give charity to those that if they didn't have somebody in their life, they, if you're a widow in that culture, you're, you're basically on the outs. And you're begging for alms in so many situations. And here's one who says, I'm not going to let that happen. She's not a disciple. Of the, she's not one of the 12 disciples, as was Stephen or Lydia. They're not Stephen and, and uh, excuse me, Stephen and uh, Philip. Tabitha, not 12 disciples, but read the book of Acts. Walk through it. The disciples have rightly said at Acts 6, hey, we need some time to be able to pray and to study the word of God. We're, we, we want to be able to rightly divide the truth. We need some time for that. Could y'all help and roll up your sleeves and help with these widows? And Stephen and Philip, just regular folks, not disciples, said, yeah, We'll roll up our sleeves. Stephen, the first Christian martyr of the church who stood up and looked him in the eye and talked about Jesus. Philip, who not only does he roll up his sleeves to serve those in need, but, but, but Philip, who not only, as we just said, led an Ethiopian to Christ where the gospel can move into Africa, but he also exercises demons, heals a paralyzed man. I just want to be faithful. Just let me serve. And God does amazing things through his life. And it's the same thing here. If you read through Acts, after you get through Acts chapter 6, when the disciples say, and I think it's rightly so, hey, we need some time to pray. We need some time to study. Nobody gets mentioned again from the 12 disciples, really significantly, except for Peter. Now, these are men who gave all for Jesus Christ. All of them but John are martyred for their faith. No Thomas, no James, 
No, really, John. No, Andrew. No, Matthew. Nothing. Nothing significant after Acts 6. What does get glorified is lay people who said, let me roll up my sleeves and make a difference for Jesus. And you see Philip, and you see Tabitha, and you see Stephen. God highlights and glorifies that. People who will say, let me go. And the impact of that, the impact of that, we just can't even measure. I want to read a a note I received a couple of weeks ago. It says, Dear Reverend Mail, we have reached our 80s and are considered to be a high risk for COVID-19. Very early on, and he names one of our church members, she volunteered to do our grocery shopping and has done so faithfully for months. On the occasions that her family obligations required her attention, then he mentions another one of our church members. She was always there to attend to our needs. Both of these women are truly an example of Christian service and should make Madison Methodist proud. The manner that they have unselfishly and generously given their time and attention would qualify them to be seen as part of your church's mission program. We are blessed to have such neighbors, and your church is equally blessed to have members like these. Just people who said, hey, let me roll up my sleeves. Neighbor to neighbor. Again, we've got to join with our church in the big stuff because of the impact we can have, but it's just the normal stuff. It's the everyday stuff, and people's lives are encouraged. Or with Philip, people's lives even get spiritually saved. Or here in Acts chapter 9, these widows are encouraged and blessed and provided for. How is that with you? How's that going to be for you? How will that continue to be? And this is not the only letter. This is not the only story I hear. I've just heard some of our students and adults just this week doing the exact same thing, mowing a yard for somebody in our church family going through a difficult season. How will it be for you? Just that normal stuff at work or at play or around the neighborhood or at work where you can say, Lord, you just you have my prayer life on this. Lord, you have my, as, as, as Dorcas had to do, you have my time to do these things. Lord, as Dorcas had to do, you have my resources to make sure these things happen. Lord, you have my service. Where would that be for you? Again, we're doing that through our church family. Uh, we made a commitment two years ago, two and a half years ago, to say we're going to go to the poorest part of our state. And we're doing that routinely uh, through Delta Grace. We've made a commitment, a new commitment to go to the street children of Brazil in the poorest areas of Sao Paulo. Uh, we're doing it food drive after food drive through MADCAP and read your newsletter again this week. We've got another food drive that will be happening uh, for that. We do that together, but in the, in the normal stuff of life, who needs you? Who is that? We look at her life. Her life is full. It's interesting. That word for deeds, ergon, means works, projects, or deeds. And we've got to be about those. But I like that other word, Elias, which again reminds us uh, of her giving as well. And we've got to give and support for those kinds of things. Dana was right on the money. Uh, when you and I say yes to Christ, it's only after first he said yes to us. But it is that kind of commitment, Lord. 
what would you have me to do? There was a church wrestling, and a friend of mine, the, the pastor who followed me at my last church, he told me this story that it was a church in Memphis. But they were having some struggles over some things and snipping at one, and, one another over. I'm sure it was carpet color. But they were kind of snipping over stuff. And uh, it was Confirmation Sunday. And it had boiled up enough that people were talking about it. And apparently kids had heard uh, the parents talking about it. And so for Confirmation Sunday, the first confirmand comes out. And he's carrying his baptismal gown. And he takes his baptismal gown and he just puts it on the altar rail. And he looks at the church and says this, you promised. Now, part of that was a great thanks. For, for him to have gotten to that part of his life to say yes to Jesus Christ means that church had walked with that student as they had promised to walk with him at his baptism. Not just are we going to uh, uh, say yes, that we, we acknowledge your family's saying yes to Christ, but we as a church are saying we're going to do whatever it takes to raise you up in the faith. But he was also saying you promised, stay with us. The next child walks out, puts down the, 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 the gown, and the next child, and the next child, and the next child. Christ has made great commitments to us. And so the church here in Acts 1.15 takes that promise that Christ has said to the church, if you are filled with my spirit, these things are just going to flow out of your life. Now, two quick things as we close. One is this, and I know you could say, preacher, you're, you're talking about verse 36. When are you going to get down to the resurrection part? I'm really not. Because the Bible, even though we have a handful of resurrections, about 10 or so in Scripture, Elijah, Elisha, Jesus' public ministry, uh, people rising up when Jesus died, and then you've got a couple here in the book of Acts, the Bible really doesn't spend a whole lot of time, and again, you would say, how is that possible? It doesn't spend a whole lot of time celebrating the act of resurrection, the physical restoring of life to somebody's body. It's not a dead body receiving life that gets attention. Instead, it's a heart that was turned inward that's now turned outward because of what Christ has done. It's, it's a heart and a mind and an attitude that's been transformed and renewed. So many of the resurrection stories, af actually it's what you get after the resurrection story that gets, uh, that gets celebrated. These, the, just these lay people and just seeing what Tabitha, what's happened to her life because she knows Jesus. To see what Stephen and Philip will do. The risks they will take just because they knew, know Jesus. That's a life transformed. That's the deep miracle. To see even Peter, a disciple, will he receive grace? When he stumbled and bumbled and even betrayed Jesus, if you read one of the Gospels, to his face at one of his trials. And yet he allows Christ to restore him. And you see him do an incredible ministry right here uh, in, in raising up Tabitha. I even think there's something here about expectation and faith. What did they do with Tabitha's body? They washed it. What should they have done? They should have buried her. you got to bury her before nightfall. That's the culture. That's the understanding. You take care of that. They, they didn't. They washed her body, put it in an upper room. Somebody, let's get two guys to run over. Try, see if you can get Peter. Why? We expect God to show up. This kind of incredible faith and expectation on the, on the people who are filled by his spirit. Even one Bible commentator, G. Campbell Morgan, says when he talks about 
this. It's interesting what he says when he talks about the healing of the blind man before this. And then he talks about the resurrection. Then after that he says, but most significantly. Let me say that again. There's been a resurrection. And then he says, but most significantly. And this is the last verse of our passage. He stayed in the home of Simon the Tanner. Resurrection. He stayed with a tanner. It's what God did in Peter's heart and in his attitudes. You don't stay with the tanner. If you're, my Jewish mom taught me I don't associate with people like that and dead carcasses that will make me unclean. Not only does he do that, but when he raises Tabitha, what's the first thing he does? Not only does he walk into a room with a dead body, which would have made him ceremonially unclean in the old understanding, he grabs her by the hand. You don't do that? Yeah, get up. Not worried about that. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of not allowing past prejudices, past whatever, uh, stopping him from what the transforming work that God wanted to do in and through his life. And then lastly, where is this, by the way? Go back to the first verse, verse 36. It's in Joppa. Now, you all who have studied with Sandy Richter, what's the big deal about Joppa? Do you remember an Old Testament character that went to Joppa, who was supposed to reach out to Gentiles, to those outside of the family of God. But when he got to Joppa, he went there. Why? He went to get on a boat. His name was Jonah, and he did not want to do what God had called him to do. What a great contrast for us. That Peter is in that city, which Bible commentators uh, say that's really the dividing line between what's Jewish territory and Gentile territory for that area. And Peter says, let me go there. And not only does he go into the home of a tanner, but then after that, the next verse in the very next chapter, after that says he goes into the house of a, or he, it talks about a centurion, uh, Cornelius, which again would have been a no-no, but Peter, Peter's open to that. And then it ends up later in Caesarea. And I've told you before about that town. They did, they did, let me just say carefully, they did Olympics with nothing restricting them at all. You would have been told, that's a no-no. But Peter says, let me go there. That's a town with an amphitheater that if a play called for a violent act or a perverted act, slaves would have to play that out in front of crowds. That's a big no-no. Peter says, let me go there. And by the way, when he has that vision of the great white sheet, I mean the great sheet that, that says everything's clean, it's because in the sixth hour he had set aside a time for prayer. So again, prayer's at the heart of all of this, but then it's a people who say, Lord, come do that deep miracle. Just fill me and open my eyes to what's around me and just work through the everyday normal stuff and let me be a Tabitha. Let me be a Stephen. Let me be a Philip. Let me be a Peter. How is it for you? This is really a launching point. Galatians says that Peter was a, an apostle to the Gentiles. This is the launching point. This chapter right here, if Peter's saying, I believe everybody needs the gospel. I believe God loves everybody, and I'm going to be up in the middle of all of that. Where is that for you? Well, you've got to cross that launching point and say, right now, my office, my friendships, my extended family, my neighborhood, uh, it's a launching point today, Lord. Whoever, wherever you want to send me, to, to, what, to whatever person you want to send me, launch me.
It's amazing what happens in the life of Peter when he opens himself up to that kind of being sent. As we look at this church also, as we close, it's, it's a good, good question. What am I being filled by? We look at the early church and we see pockets of rage or confusion or jealousy, but, but the, what's continual is the Spirit. And when that comes, Jesus promises us. We're saying, Lord, I only want your Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. Jesus promises us there's going to be power and there's going to be witness. Let's pray about that. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Where we hear, hear the words of Jesus in Acts 1, we see his model to send us out. Father, I thank you for how this church has already responded in so many ways. Uh, to risk going uh, to places where it can be uncomfortable, where it can even be risky. I thank you for the ways in which you've called this church to give, to support missionaries, to support uh, food ministries, uh, to clothe and to help and to encourage. Father, I'm also praying for us this day in just the everyday things. Open our eyes to the call that you have upon our lives to serve. I thank you for this great witness of what happens when one person will look at the needs around them and, and, and just see the encouragement that those widows received. Father, help us to, to not undercut what you're calling us to be, not to second guess or wonder, would you really do something like that through us, but to go by what you've shown us through your holy word, that you would have us to serve and to love and to live like this. Father, how would you have us to step out? Uh, we're open to your leading. Uh, lead us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.